There is one Sunday that I dread more than any other Sunday. It's when my birthday falls on Sunday. I tried to hide it. I tried to conceal it because it embarrasses me. I'm not sure why. I know I need to go to counseling for that. I'm not quite sure why that bothers me so much. But today, I'm going to be bold with it. It's my birthday. And I, wait, wait, and I want a present. What we're about to do is I'm going to preach on that which I am most passionate about with regard to vulnerable children. It's actually in the text. Isn't it interesting how the preaching calendar of James has led up to James 1.27, caring for orphans, the same day as my birthday? How did that happen? So I, I, I arranged that for the record. But I'm excited that I get to preach this this morning. And I want you to listen. And here's the gift that would be a gift to me. is It's for you to consider how you could engage I know right now you may not be into this very much and think, oh, what's, what's the big deal? I just, no, no, I really want you to be, just listen, humor me, listen, and consider how you can engage. And then, and then I, I want to invite you to my birthday party. Well, it's not really my birthday party, but after the service, we're having a community forum on caring for vulnerable children. I would love for every single one of you, including college students, we've designed it in a certain way where everyone can be there and just hear stories and consider ways to engage vulnerable children in our country and around the world. I'm going to start with a story. And I've been planning on telling this story for several months, and this story is very emotional to me. I'm not quite sure why. But it's a story about a man named Nicholas Winton. He was from Britain, and he helped 669 children escape during the Holocaust. These children, mainly Jews, were from Czechoslovakia, and they were likely headed to the Nazi concentration camp. So I'm going to set the scene. It's December 1938, and he, like a 20-something, early 30-something, he was planning on going on a ski trip. He's got his skis ready. He's packed up, ready to go. Gets a call from his friend. His friend said, hey, man, why don't you come over to Czechoslovakia with me? I'm working with some refugees, you know. The war is about to break out. There, there's some refugees here. I want you to come on over. And, and by the way, don't bring your skis. So he cancels his ski trip. He goes to Czechoslovakia. He sees these refugees and these camps were a mess. And here you have Jewish children who were stuck in Czechoslovakia before the war is about to break out. And at that time, Britain, I hope you're following with me, Britain had a program called Kinder Transport, which means that Jewish kids could come from wherever into the country if they had a host family like a foster family. But Czechoslovakia did not have such a program. And so while Nicholas was there, he was so moved to start doing something to rescue these kids out of Czechoslovakia before the war breaks out. And we are told that this involved a lot of danger, 
bribes, forgery, secret contracts with the Gestapo, nine railroad trains, an avalanche of paperwork, and a lot of money. And people are bringing their kids to him and saying, please, take my kid. Get him out of here before the war breaks out. Take my kid before I go off and get killed. So he, he registers 5,000 kids, goes back to Britain. He's, he's hustling. He's hustling. Let's get some families. Let's get some people. Let's get some host family. Gets them. Then he goes back to Czechoslovakia, and then he goes into action to start sneaking the kids out of the country through trains and, and boats and bribes and paperwork and red tape and more and more danger. And then the last train before the war went to full effect, 250 kids were on it. Never made it out. Kids were never seen again. All in all, his strong efforts rescued 669 kids. And almost all of these survivors were orphaned as their parents were killed. And, and get this, those kids are still alive today, a lot of them. They're in their 70s and in their 80s. And even today, they call themselves Winton's children. What I want to do this morning is I want to transport the urgency that Winton had before the war broke out. I want to transport that urgency here this morning. Now, in no, in no way, shape, or form am I downplaying or minimizing the Holocaust by comparing it to the crisis among children in our time. But I do want to say that we have a crisis in our time. You may not see it every day, but there is a crisis of vulnerable children around the world. And I would like to see a little bit of gospel urgency among us to actually do something. We have children today fleeing war zones, children being trafficked. You can think about the refugees as they are moving. You see the, the little boy, three-year-old boy being washed up on shore, if you saw the picture. They're, these are vulnerable children around the world, often are abandoned or abused uh, around the world. But even in our country, specifically in our city, we have vulnerable children who are abused, neglected, and abandoned. And I don't think I need to spend much time to tell you there is a crisis among children and our world today. Now, if the Bible was going to describe um, a, a vulnerable child, it would often use the word orphan to refer to children in crisis. Uh, the Bible uses the word orphan to refer to a child without one parent, particularly the father, or the loss of both parents. Now, today, the, the definition of orphan has, has branched out and there are statistics flying around everywhere. And I don't want to clobber you with statistics. Some may say there's 132 million orphans in the world. Or some say there's 153 million orphans in the world. Or there are 13 million double orphans in the world where they've lost both parents. But the reality is that a lot of these kids, however you define orphans, not need care. Some of them special needs. Some of them neglect, abuse, lack of revision, lack of families. But... There are also kids in Illinois, in Chicago, that would not fall under this definition of orphan. I don't know if you know this, but there are 400,000 children in the foster care system in America. And Illinois alone has 16,000 children in the foster care system. 
I was meeting with a social worker uh, a couple months ago, and one of the greatest needs they have for children in foster care is for foster families. And she was telling me that oftentimes sibling groups that enter the foster care system do not all go to one family. So you may have one sibling uh, uh, over here in a shelter. You may have one with this foster family, one with this foster family, one of them in transition. And so there, there's a lack of, of this continuity of foster families for these foster kids. But there are also kids that are local and global whose parents are there for them, they love them, but they find themselves in difficult circumstance, and so they have to create an adoption plan. And on the other end, they need loving parents to raise them for life. And then there are still kids who have both parents that are in the home, loving parents, but they're going through a time of crisis, and they need people to step up for a period of time to help out. I don't want to just keep harping on this and statistics. There is a crisis in the world. There is a crisis in our own city among children. And what I would like to see, I believe the, the, the Bible and the Word of God compels us to this gospel urgency. And what I want to do on it this morning, I'm going to let this gospel urgency kind of explode among us as I talk about gospel motivation. I like using the word gospel. Gospel action and then gospel outcomes. And a little bit of this today may be boring to you. But if I'm just going to try to move you with stories and try to make you cry, I don't think that lasts very long. But I believe if I can root you in the heart of God, the theology of the Word of God, that God's heart is for the orphan, and that the gospel compels us to actually do something, then we move beyond sentimentality and start rooting our hearts deep in the heart of God where we can do something and be sustained and keep doing something. I'm not just trying to get you to do something for the moment, but have it sustained for a lifetime. So let's start doing a little theological work and be motivated properly to care for vulnerable children in this gospel motivation. This Winton guy I mentioned earlier, he was asked why he rescued all those kids and risked his life. He said this, the children were in danger, they needed safety, I took the risk. I like that, it's pretty simple. I want to add to that. I would say as Christians, we would say, God is compassionate, the children are in danger, they need safety. I'll take the risk. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about that risk-taking today as we jump back into our text and look at James chapter 1, verse 27. Remember, James is all about faith that works. Faith that does something. Not just talking, but does something. James 1, 27, faith in action. Let me read it. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't get tripped up by that word religion. I know some of you like to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm not religious. Don't get tripped up by that word religion. It basically means just an outgrowth of the gospel, of his transforming work in our lives. As we are those who are saved through Jesus, we display a religion that is pure, spotless, upright in the eyes of God. 
Now, this religion here that he mentions, of course, he doesn't mention everything. Previously, he talks about the use of our words, restraint from anger. And later on, he's going to talk about compassion to the poor in chapter 2. But here, he lists three important parts of this pure religion. One of them, you can see at the last part of the verse, to keep oneself unstained from the world, that is to live a life of holiness before God. But also notice that he mentions that pure religion is expressed in caring for widows in their affliction. God's heart is for the widow. There's a great emphasis in the Bible in caring for the widow. My 20s were filled with being immersed in the world of widows and widowers, which will be a story for another time. But I believe God has called the believer, God has called EBF to care for widows in need. And throughout the years, by God's grace, we've got to partner with a ministry called Senior Connections. Someone in our church is one of the leaders where it pairs people from EBF with a senior in our community where you can meet with them and encourage them, build them up. For example, right now, there is a 90-year-old living in Evanston, recovering from an aneurysm, who would enjoy meeting with a faith-filled visitor. Would that be you? There is a brilliant bed-bound senior in Evanston with muscular dystrophy who would love to meet with another person who's into technology. Anybody into technology? Would that be you? There are many ways that we can be paired, you can be paired with a senior in our community and care for a widow or widower in need. We're putting some action to these words. After the service, I've invited Senior Connections. They're in the lobby. Feel free to go and check it out, meet with them, speak with them, maybe even sign up to consider caring for a widow or widower in need. Back to verse 27. Look at it again. Notice that the command to care for orphans is rooted in God the Father. It's an imitation uh, of the character of the Father's heart. God's heart has always been aimed at the orphan. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible. You'll find a history of God's heart for the orphan in the Bible. Psalm 68.5, God is called the Father of the fatherless, and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146.9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. I could keep going verse after verse after verse. I could just give you tons of verses of God's heart for the orphan. In fact, when you start entering the prophets in the Old Testament, They go off on God's people for the way that they are dissing the orphans. In fact, God says, if you diss the orphans, my judgment is going to be targeted at you. The book of Malachi, God says this, Malachi 3.5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who press the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust the th- aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. When you march through biblical history, you'll see God's heart for the orphan and God's judgment against those who diss the orphan. And so it makes sense that when we show up in the New Testament, James 1.27, he's going to say, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to care for orphans. That makes sense. 
So let's root our care and our compassion and concern in the heart and the character of God. But that's not enough. That's not enough. I'm going to take you a step further. God's care and compassion for the vulnerable is good motivation, but it's an incomplete explanation. I'm going to say something I hope has staying power with you. You won't quite understand God's heart for the vulnerable child until you understand God's heart for you, the vulnerable child. You're not going to understand God's heart for the vulnerable child until you understand God's heart for you, the vulnerable child. God put it like this to his people in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, he says this. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. The Israelites were to remember their condition as slaves in Egypt. They were helpless, vulnerable, oppressed, but not anymore. God redeemed them out of their slavery. Now in their redeemed state, they were to move move toward the vulnerable with a redeeming love. Bring it to your life. God saw you. You were in slavery, in slavery to sin. You were under his wrath. He moved towards you with a redeeming love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, died, rose again. And through faith in him, you can be out of these bonds. You can be redeemed. He moved towards you with a redeeming love. And now out of that grace and out of that redeeming love, you let that spill onto others. In your vulnerable state, you said, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And so now in your spiritually vulnerable state, you receive much grace and mercy and you pour it out of you onto others and their vulnerable state. Do you see how that works? That is a a gospel-motivated compassion. Did you get that? So you don't approach others and you go, man, I'm here to be your savior and your rescuer. Aren't you glad I showed up? No, we're like, God, you have had mercy on me. Let that spill out on whoever. I'm no better than anyone else. I am vulnerable as well. God, redeem me. I'm going to let that redeeming love go on to others. So that's that gospel motivation. I hope that roots you for more than just emotional stirred up for the moment. I want that to root you for the long haul to care for those who are vulnerable. So now let's move into some gospel action. Some gospel action. Now before I move on to this, I want to push, I'm going to push back because I know some of you are going, man, pastor, why are you be messing not everybody has to care for vulnerable kids. Okay, you're right. I'll give that to you. The command's clear there to care for widows, to care for poor. So if you're caring for widows right now, or if you're caring for the poor, you get a pass. Free pass. You don't have to care for vulnerable children at all. Seriously. If you're caring for the poor, you're caring for widows, free pass. I just passed it out to you. However, if you're not caring for the widows, and if you're not caring for the poor... Here's an opportunity to care for vulnerable children. Here's some action you can take. Back to James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, if you're just looking at the ESV translation, you may think, oh, visit. Visit must mean I need to get on a plane, I need to go fly, and I need to go to an orphanage, and I need to visit the kids and say, hey, kids, let's play for a little bit. I'm visiting you. That's what the Bible says. 
Nope, no, no. That's not what that word means. I think the NIV kind of brings it alive more when it talks about looking after. It has the more of the idea of engaging and caring and having a self-sacrificing manner. It's not a one-time, two-time visit. It is a looking after and caring for the orphans in their affliction. And if you notice that this affliction here uh, can mean physical affliction, as many kids are in physical difficult situations around the world, maybe not enough food, not enough medical care. But a lot of these kids also come from hard places where it doesn't just mean physical um, affliction. It can also mean emotional affliction, uh, a mental affliction. Maybe they have a variety of spiritual needs. And sometimes when you enter into the life of a vulnerable child, you will discover that there is a variety of pain and suffering. But this is what's so cool about caring for people who are vulnerable. This is what's so cool. Is that as you start to move out and you start to see how much pain and hardship they will have, you will see that there is grace from God to heal their wounds, but also to heal your wounds as well. It's not just, boy, you need a lot of grace in your life. You better take this grace to heal your wounds. It's like, you know what? You need it. And I need it as well to heal the wounds in me. So it's a letting this grace spill out of me, out of you, onto others. Now, to this point in the sermon, I like to give a lot of uh, mushy and gushy uh, uh, stories to move you to do something. I'm not, not going to do that. Uh, we're going to have some pretty cool stories at the, at the forum. Basically, the forum is uh, me inviting my friends within the church who are involved with vulnerable children. These are people I, I love, and we've hashed out many hours talking about stuff. And they're going to be at this forum, and they're just going to tell you their stories. And they're powerful stories of, of men and women who are getting it done, taking risk of faith on a daily basis. But right now, I want to kind of push back at you once again and, and talk to you about action. Because I feel sometimes in church we get all mystical and we assume that the Bible has calling for action that is mystical or magical. Like uh, some of you may, may have said, you know, if God would just put a baby on my doorstep, that must mean he wants me to care for the vulnerable child. You get all mystical and magical about it, right? You think if God would just do something supernatural as if his word is not enough. He's got to do something mystical to move you to action. So I want to dispel all the mystical and magical stuff and say, you know what? Action is just simple action. God has spoken the word from the Lord today. Now you need to do something about it. And it's not mystical. 2010, we got a call. Called our house. Said, hey, Jason, Melissa, we have this three-month-old baby girl in an orphanage in Ethiopia do you want to adopt her? Now, did I say, why are you calling me? Who are you? Is this, this mystical, magical stuff? What's going on? No, why are they calling me? Are they calling me because, because my wife and I are better Christians than others? Oh, no. Are they calling me because I'm a pastor? Certainly not. Are they calling me because we're great parents? <laughs> Come to our house. No, they're not calling us. They're calling us because all we did with the previous two years is we did this. Filled out paperwork, went through training, and waited. That was the extent of our action. And now that three-month little girl is now a five-year-old running around our house singing 
let it go at the top of her lungs. There's nothing magical about that. 2011, we got another call about a five-month-old little boy who needs a home in Chicago. When they call me, they'll say, why are you calling me? Quit calling me. Why are they calling me? Is it because we're better Christians than others? Nope. Uh, is it because um, I'm a pastor? No. Is it because we're better parents? No, 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 no. This is why they called me. Is it because my wife and I, we went through foster care training, filled out the paperwork, and waited. That was the extent of the action. There is nothing mystical, there is nothing magical about caring for vulnerable kids. You just take yourself and you make your doorstep ready and you put yourself in a position to do something. And if you don't know what to do, remember, I'm having a birthday party after the service across the street. We'll tell you what to do. I do want to tell you one story of someone who used to sit right where you're sitting. It's about a woman. She took some action. When everything in the world would be kind of screaming against her to do nothing, she did something. She's one of our missionaries. By the way, our missionaries are awesome. This Saturday, we're kind of hanging out with a lot of them during this dinner. I really want to encourage you to go that. We've got awesome missionaries. But back to this missionary. Her name is Renee. And when she was a college student, God was stirring in her to do something in compassion for uh, a despised people group. Uh, I don't despise them. She doesn't despise them. But a lot in the world looked down upon the Roma people. And God moved her heart to care for them. And throughout the years, God, the work he started while she was in college, many years later, God was moving her to do even more for the Roma people. Now, I want to set the context before I show you this video. This is Renee McLean our missionary in Czech Republic, a single woman, watch what God moved her to do. Let's watch. We all have excuses. <laughs> she would have some really good excuses, right? Man, I'm living on a mission field in a foreign country. I'm a single woman. And yet, stepped out of faith, took some action. Two beautiful girls running around. Nothing mystical. Nothing magical. Just that gospel action. Stick with me for one more moment. I know it's hard to see the end of your life from where you're at right now. But if you could see some of the choices you make now, that the outcomes can be significant later. I want to flash back once again to this Winton guy. He really has captured me in my mind. Did you know in 2003 he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II? If you go to Prague right now, you'll see statues of this guy. He's got statues in at London as well. Presidents and leaders from around the world have heaped praise on him. But this guy, Nicholas Winton, wasn't trying to play the hero. In fact, no one knew what he did for 50 years. He got married, didn't tell his wife. He had kids, he didn't tell his wife what he did. The only way he was outed is his wife was in the attic going through stuff one day, found all these pictures and all these legal documents. He's like, what is this? Oh, yeah. And then word got out. A few movies has been made about him, books you can read about him. Wasn't seeking the attention. 
but the outcomes of his actions are significant. I saw him in a picture, he was in a wheelchair in 2009. It was kind of a reunion of sorts. It was his, uh, I think it was his 100th birthday. And they were going to recreate some of the train rides from Czechoslovakia, Czech Republic, to Britain. And so you have some of the survivors got on the trains, made the trip, and got off at this station. And they're all surrounding him. And get this, this is the part that really gets me. They're in their 70s and their 80s. But this man's action has resulted in the descendants of these kids being over 6,000. 6,000 have resulted from this man's actions because he did something. And I think about you, I think about me, that we can do something in the life of a vulnerable child that may not seem that big of a deal at the time, but can have results throughout their time here on earth and maybe in response to the gospel on into eternity. That's awesome. Did something. I want to do something. I want to take action motivated by the gospel. I want you to see the future. God's word is calling you to do something. I want want you to picture Nicholas Winton holding his skis right here. Maybe he was holding his poles in this hand, packed up. I'm about to go on a ski trip. Gets a call. Hey, man, come over here. And right at that moment, he put the skis down. Saved over 600 kids results in 6,000 cents. And all I'm asking you this morning is to do something. I don't even know each of your situation. If you're caring for widows, keep it up. The poor, keep it up. But I want to encourage you to consider caring for vulnerable children. And I'm not asking you to come to Czechoslovakia. I'm asking you to walk across a little park (laughs) to go to a a little forum in some small room and listen to people that are sitting right next to you that are doing something. And perhaps God may give you a vision and direction of what you can do as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for moving toward us in the gospel. Moving toward us in Jesus. Who came to us in our vulnerable state and saved us and redeemed us. And you're calling us to care for the vulnerable. We are not their saviors. We are not their heroes. You are. We just want to be vessels where you use us to care for widows, orphans, refugees, the poor. May we be people who do something, who do not just merely listen to the word, but we do what it says. Even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even when the consequences of us doing something can be very, very difficult for a long time. May we be people 
who are not just moved once or twice, but rooted deep in your sustaining gospel that continues to pour out grace and mercy on us so that we can pour out grace and mercy on others. Make us a people who do something. In Jesus' name, amen.